0: Good to see you guys here this morning. If you have a copy of God's Word, I hope you do. Go ahead and make your way to the book of Ruth. We started Ruth last week in Ruth chapter one, and we'll be in chapter two today. And if you are a guest tuning in on online right now, a special welcome to you. We hope to meet you face to face in the next couple weeks. And as you're making your way to the book of Ruth, I'm going to introduce you to a family that for many of you needs no introduction, but the Perry family. Go ahead and make your way up here. The uh, Perry family is an amazing family. Um, and those of you that know them, know a little bit of their story. But if you are new here and you don't know them, let me just fill you in. Uh, they've been serving down in Nicaragua um, for almost eight years, seven and a half, something like that. And they've been doing an amazing ministry down there. It's been great to see what God has done uh, in and through them. And what's great is uh, they're from our church, and we're called out to go down there. And God stirred their heart to go down there through just going on a mission trip through our church, working with a family, the Harvinsons, who are also. From our church. And uh, it's funny, she was sharing with me that what was great about it is they get down there and they realize on their first mission trip that God just wanted to use average, everyday people who would be faithful to go on mission for Him. And so that's how God stirred their heart to go. And they've been serving there, like I said, for that seven, eight years. And uh, and now, through some crazy twists and turns, God has uh, a new chapter for them, a new ministry for them, one that uh, they didn't see in the horizon, but God did in His providence and uh, that God has provided for them, which is a really uh, cool thing that I want to share with you. It's a ministry, a nonprofit called Be Excellent. And Be Excellent has two main goals that they do. One is to help people. They want to help those who um, need resources, whether that's food or water, learn how to find the water they need and purify that water, as well as grow up and do agriculture, things like that. Uh, And they'll do that both domestically and internationally with Be Excellent. But they also realize in this company more than just providing those daily needs. there's a deep spiritual need that is there, and so their second purpose is to give hope, um, give hope through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so he doesn't divorce the daily practical needs from the spiritual needs, they go hand in hand. And so God has provided this opportunity for them, and we're excited for them in that. I know that there's um, some nervousness with new things, but a lot of excitement about how God has paved the way for that. but So they're going to be moving this coming up week to go to Idaho to be working with Be Excellent. And so what we as a church want to do is be praying for them because Wendy's heartbeat, she had said, has always been from neighborhoods to nations, whether that was in Nicaragua, which she'll still be able to serve some with them, but also with this new ministry area of Be Excellent. So church family, let's pray together for them and celebrate what God's doing in their life. Pray with me this morning. Father, we thank you for uh, the Perry family. Lord, how you have uh, led them in the past and how you continue to lead them now. And Lord, I pray for um, Addison and Bryson, Avery, who's already out there, God, that you would uh, bless them in this transition as well continue to use Wendy like you've been using her in the past. And Lord, I ask that they would be able to help people to see their greatest need, the hope that they have in Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, help us as a church to be faithful, to continue to pray, continue to provide encouragement and support with them in uh, the weeks and the months and the years ahead. And, Lord, we know that you and your providence and your goodness have paved the way for what's next. And so bless this next ministry season more than you've even blessed the previous ministry season to the glory of your great name. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Give them a hand. Uh, after service, if you just want to encourage them or meet them for the first time, they'll be out in the, the Welcome Center so you can meet them. And uh, more than just applauding them, let's remember to be praying for them and the ministry that God has for them. All right, Ruth chapter 2 is where we're going to be today. And we're going to break it up. I'm going to read the first few verses and then we'll stop, unpack that, and then we'll read the second half of Ruth chapter 2 before we finish up our time today. So let's see, starting in verse 1, what the word of the Lord says. It says, now Naomi, a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. All right, verse 1 is the narrator giving you and I a glimpse of hope in this dark moment. Chapter 1, if you were here last week, is a dark chapter. Uh, There's a lot of famine and funerals, a lot of difficult pain and suffering, right? That we talked about God's providence was guiding them through And helping them. So so people don't give up on reading the book of Ruth. Verse 1, he's saying, hey, there's a glimmer of hope. There's a redeemer. There's a man named Boaz. Now, the people in the story don't know Boaz yet. They haven't met him. Ruth doesn't know who he is yet. Naomi doesn't know this. And and so Boaz doesn't know them either. But that's just giving us a glimpse of what's to come. Now, verse 2. And Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, Naomi. Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of the grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. Then she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and she went and she gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened, we'll get back to that, but she happened to come to a part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. Behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. And then Boaz said to the young man who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, she's the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather from the sheaves among the reapers. So she came and she continued from early morning until now except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, now, listen, my daughter. Do not go and glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to the young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. She fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and she said to him, Now listen to this. This is important. It's important for the whole book of Ruth, but it's especially important to chapter 2. Ruth says, Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. How you have left your father and your mother and your native land and have come to a people... That you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, even though I was not one of your servants. All right, let's pause there and let's talk about that section and then we'll hit the second here in a bit. As I'm reading Ruth 2 and remembering the truths that Ruth is, is highlighting for us, it's extremely important. Because for us, when we think about the Bible, many of us think about the great, mighty, supernatural, miraculous works that God does throughout the pages of Scripture. When we think about the Bible, maybe the first few things that rush to our mind, especially in the Old Testament, is like, yeah, God rescued his people from Egypt by these miracles, these ten plagues. Then he literally parted the Red Sea and the people walked through it. He provided this miraculous bread from heaven for them to eat and he sustained them. And then you got stories that come to your mind of maybe Daniel and the lion's den, how God in his supernatural ability you know, kept the, the mouths of the lions closed and so Daniel wasn't hurt. And, and there's so many of these supernatural stories that we read throughout the Old Testament and then going into the New Testament, maybe what we think about is, is Jesus feeding the 5,000 <laughs> or Jesus walking on water or the, the miraculous, the, the best of all miracles, him defeating death in his resurrection from the grave. Maybe that's the things that rest in our minds when it comes to the might and the power and the providence of God through the pages of Scripture what's interesting about the book of Ruth is there is no supernatural moment in the book of Ruth. There's no amazing miracle where you're like, that is unbelievable that that was able to happen. And yet, when you read the book of Ruth, what you find is God's providence is working in the everyday life. God's supernatural power is still guiding and directing people, specifically Boaz and Ruth, in this story. And so when we come to the book of Ruth, though we might not see any miraculous miracles and these supernatural actions, God's supernatural providence and power is still at work. And so what I want us to see in Ruth chapter 2 is the truth of God's providence in two different ways. First, That God displays his providence through guidance and through grace. God displays his providence through guidance and grace. You see, by by all rights, we should not find anything hopeful or good in Ruth chapter 2. By all rights, we shouldn't find it. Every single thing is stacked against Ruth and Naomi. Everything. Even when you start reading Ruth chapter 2, if it wasn't for verse 1, you would still be hopeless until halfway through the chapter. I mean, think about this. It mentions multiple times in this chapter that Ruth is a Moabite. Now, we talked about that last week and the, the difficulty it was for her to leave her home and to come to a land, honestly, that was very racist towards Moabite people. That didn't like them, that didn't appreciate them. And when you read the book of Ruth, count how many times when somebody references Ruth, they, they tag on that she's a Moabite. Did you catch that? Because <laughs> even, even in here, when Boaz asked the, the kind of manager that's in charge of everything going on, hey, who is this woman? His response in that moment is, Psh, it's the Moabite woman. Like, did he have to tag that on the front of that? Did he have to remind everybody she's a Moabite? No, but what it's doing in this moment is it's showing the deep racism that's going on in this culture. This deep um, hatred towards people from this nation. And this is a massive strike against Ruth. She should not find any favor or guidance and grace in this moment. But that's not the only strike that she has against her. I mean, she's going out to to glean the fields. And what this is, is this is honestly a picture of like dumpster diving, okay? She's hungry, she needs something to eat, and her mother-in-law needs something to eat. And so she goes out to glean the leftovers in the field. Now, what's beautiful about this is, God in his providence gave this command in the book of Leviticus and then also in the book of Deuteronomy that the people that God had provided for that had margin in their life with their, their agriculture and their finances to not glean the corners of the field. God had commanded them that. He said I've given you a lot but the reality is it's all mine anyway so what I'm going to ask you to do to steward is not to glean from the edges so that those in need can come and glean. This is a, a picture of the welfare at that time because the reality is the government didn't take funds and, and to provide for those in need. Those who were homeless and those who needed food, the government wasn't shelling out food to help them. But God in his providence and his goodness has already guided God's people to provide for even the specific woman of Ruth and Naomi in this chapter through the commands that he has given earlier on in the book of Leviticus and the book of Deuteronomy. Now, this isn't a a handout. This is more of a hand up. Because gleaning is hard work, right? It's hot work. It's not necessarily safe either because there would be people that would wait until you had worked the whole day and then rob you that evening. And here we find Ruth working in the fields as a homeless person who's hungry. This is... Not something that you look at and you're like, that's the person I really want to give favor and grace to, right? But God's mercy and in his providence, he's providing and caring for the vulnerable. He's helping Ruth in this moment. Now, these are kind of two strikes against them. And on the, on the surface, this looks like chaos. Chaos. On the surface, when you see racism and you see a lack of food, what we often see is a a thought of abandonment and not providence. But her, in this moment, realizes, or at least the narrator is going to help us see, that God's providence is providing even when things don't seem to go the way that she hoped they'd go. And we see it in verse 3. It says, she happened to. To come, to come to this field. This word for "there," she happened is is a really important word because there's some irony being used in this and there's some humor being used in this because she just happened to go to the field to glean, not knowing that this is a field of Boaz. This statement right here of this she just happened, if you literally translate it from the, the language of Hebrew, it's her chance chanced her to go there. Her chance, Chancer, or what we would say in our common language is like, as luck would have it. But when you read the book of Ruth, what you realize is there is no luck. There's a providential hand that's leading and guiding Ruth to this field that she would glean from. And when it says she just happened to come there, it just chanced her. What that means is her and Naomi didn't show up in Bethlehem and get out a map and say, which field do we want to start you gleaning in? Well, no, that one's a little too far out. Let's not go glean in that one. Or no, 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 let's go not go glean in this one. No, God just seemed to have guided this moment and placed Ruth specifically where she is at that time and that place for a purpose. It is not an accident. It's not luck. She just so happened to come. But we find out real quick that it's God's hand that's guiding all of this. And it's funny for us guys, as we read this, we totally miss some of the, the, the deepest ways that God is guiding um, provision and guiding grace and guiding favor that, honestly, a lot of the women in this room would pick up. Because as you read this story, we might read this and think, well, yeah, she shouldn't find favor in somebody's, in somebody's sight because, man, she's... She's homeless, she's got a bitter mother-in-law, she's, she's hungry, like, there's all these things. She's she's not, this isn't her home country, she's a Moabite woman. And yet, for some of the women in the room, you look at this moment and you're like, yeah, I'm shocked that she found favor as well. And the reason being is, look at how she's described as she's working. Ruth is a hard worker. But in verse 7, the way that she's described is she came early in the morning, and she's been working until now except for a short rest. Okay? Let that verse in verse 7 sink into your mind, men. Women, you have probably already picked up on it. Ruth is there. She's working diligently. She's only taking a short rest. What does that mean? She's dirty. She's there working in this field. There's probably dirt and filth that's all covered her and silt from the, the gleaning, all this stuff. She's, she's filthy, and she's dirty in this moment. And not only that, this is out in the Middle East, where it is hot, like yesterday hot, humidity hot, right? You just walk outside and you're sweating. That's the reality of where she is, right? She's not taking a break. She's working. Okay? What that means is she's not dialed up. She's not got her best dress on. She's not looking to impress Boaz as he comes in. I mean, she can't make a romantic relationship looking the way she looks right now, let alone a friendship relationship, right? Right? <laughs> Like she just can't in that moment. And yet God in his grace and in his kindness, even though she looks so worn out and probably exhausted from the hard work that she's put in and the dirt that's on her face, even in that moment, God's providential hand is guiding to bring her favor before a man named Boaz. Where the filth that's covering her face would honestly make her blend in with probably every single one of the other workers that are there. And yet God guides Boaz's eyes to notice and to see this woman. See, there's no such thing as luck that's driving this chain of events. It's God's great guidance and God's great grace in this moment. And so when Boaz comes and talks to her, these might have been the very first kind words that she has heard since she's been in Bethlehem. And she's probably heard a lot of racial slurs. She's probably heard a lot of condescending things said to her and spoken about her. And here in this moment, Boaz comes to her and he speaks kind words. Now, why I believe and why you should believe that this is God's providential plan and not luck is because of what Boaz sees and what Boaz notices in this moment. You see, she says, why have I found favor in your sight? And Boaz is going to tell her, this is how you found favor in my sight. This is how it's happened. Do you see it? Look at verse 10. She asked that question, why have I found favor in your sight, a foreigner? And then verse 12, Boaz answers her, the Lord, the Lord, that's the answer. When you think that everything is chaotic and things aren't happening right, then you shouldn't find favor in this situation. Boaz is like, it's the Lord. May the Lord repay you for what you've done. A full reward be given to you. By who? By the Lord. Now, Boaz could have taken this for himself in this moment. He's like, you found favor in my eyes. Let me give you a reward. Let me, let Boaz repay you for this moment. But Boaz is like, no, it's not about me. It's God that is guiding this moment to happen. And not only that, Boaz is like, God is the one that's not only guiding you, he's protecting you in this moment. And in verse 12, he says this, it's the God of Israel under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Boaz in this moment doesn't say, come underneath my wings. Take refuge with me and all of my wealth and all of my prosperity. Come to me in this moment. No, he looks at this moment, he's like, no, the Lord is doing something great. The Lord is doing something amazing. And under his wings, you will find refuge. In his eyes, you will find reward. Now, this, this whole statement right here, under whose wings have you come to take refuge, this for us, I believe, echoes later on into the Old Testament. I believe that David realizes what's happening in, in Ruth chapter 2 and, and he references it in Psalm 57. You see, Psalm 57, David, who, spoiler alert, is the great, great, or it's the great grandson Of Ruth. So this is his great grandmother here in Ruth chapter 2. David is in this moment of Psalm 57 running for his life. He's seen Saul, the, the man who's trying to kill him in this cave. And David is worried. He's anxious. He doesn't know what to do. And so he writes in Psalm 57 He says, Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me. For in my soul I take refuge. Where does he take refuge? In the shadow of your wings, I will take refuge till the storm of destruction pass by. I cry out to God Most High, to the God who fulfills His purpose for me. This language is mirroring exactly what's going on in Ruth two, and I think the reason why is because David has heard the story about his great grandmother. And what she went through, the suffering and the pain, where you would look at and say, what is God doing here? And is there a purpose and a plan? And so in David's life, when he feels like there is no purpose and there is no plan, and he's fearful, he remembers back to Ruth too. And he says, God, you're my refuge. And underneath the shadow of your wings, that's where I take refuge, just like my great-grandmother did. I take refuge. And then at the very end, it says to God, fulfills his purpose for me. What David is realizing that we have to realize about Ruth too is that God is still in his providential plan guiding and leading and providing in this moment for Ruth. We have to see that. We have to glean that. We have to understand that and trust in God's guidance. That's the application that we have to get from these first few verses. We, if we're going to say we're believers in the Lord God, we have to trust In his guidance. Too often, too often, we are tempted to be blinded by the fog of envy or jealousy to believe that God actually has a plan for us. Envy robs us of the rest that God desires to give us. The jealousy of wanting what, what somebody else has or the benefits that God has given to somebody else in their life keeps us from trusting in the truth that it's under His wings that we find our safety. And it's under His hand that we find our guidance and grace. I love how the 20th century English pastor Charles Spurgeon said this. Oh, I'm sorry, 19th century English pastor Charles Spurgeon He said this, when a man knows that his times are in God's hands, he would not change places with a king, not even with an angel. Do you understand to believe God's providence in that way? Do you have a peace and trusting in God's providence for your life? That he is leading you. He is guiding you. He hasn't left you. He hasn't forsaken you. His providence is working. It might not be in that miraculous way that you hoped or that supernatural way that you've seen in other moments in in the books of the Bible, but he is moving and he is working. And when you realize that and you find... Peace in that, then you can say just like Spurgeon did, I wouldn't trade places with a king. I wouldn't trade places with an angel. I wouldn't trade places with anybody because I know that God's providence has led and guided guided me to this point right now. That God is moving and acting. God's word would would say it another way. Say it like this in Proverbs chapter 3 verses 5 and 6. It says, trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean in your own understanding. Don't miss that. Proverbs 3 is not saying that if you follow the Lord, you're going to know every single step that's in front of you, and you're going to perfectly understand God's provision and providence and how he's guiding you and his grace. You're going to understand all those things. That's not what Proverbs chapter 3 promises us. The command, it says, is to trust the Lord instead of trusting in yourself and leaning in your knowledge and what you know and all of your understanding. And if we do that, then verse 6 says, in all your ways acknowledge him. And he will make your paths straight. He'll make your paths straight. That's what he's doing for Ruth. Ruth didn't lean on her own understanding. There was a lot she didn't understand and would never understand. The reality is in this moment is what she felt like was a setback and her life was a setup to display God's glory and providence. And for many of us, what we feel like are setbacks in our life, God's like, no, I'm, in my providence, I'm leading you and I'm caring for you and I'm guiding you this way, that I can show you my providence even in the everyday mundane things of life. You see, Ruth is going to see later on. She's going to go from a widow to a wife, from brokenness to blessing, from a foreigner to family, from alone to adored, from misery to motherhood. She trusted in the providence of God to take a step of faith. And God in his goodness guides her and gives her favor and grace. This is what God desires to do in our lives as well. So let us trust in the providence of God. And let us believe in the grace of our Lord. Let us believe in the grace of our Lord, the grace that would look at us and bestow these things for us, that would guide us even in the midst of the valleys of death and suffering. You see, in this moment, Boaz should have overlooked Ruth. He should have, by all rights. And he does not he notices her. And by all rights, God in his infinite glory and power and holiness and might should overlook us. He should. What is man that the Lord is mindful of him? But God in his grace and his love stoops down to help us. The one who's a foreigner. The one who's rejected. The one who is clinging to our sin and our shame instead of coming to our Redeemer. So maybe trust in the Lord's providence. Absolutely. But may we believe in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who came to rescue us from our sin. Second point for us as we look at this is that God displays his providence through provision. You find in chapter two that God shows us his providence through the way he guides Ruth and is gracious to Ruth, but I also want us to see that God displays his providence through the way he provides for Ruth, through his provision. Pick it up at verse 14. We'll finish off the rest of this chapter. And it says at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip a morsel into the wine. He's invited her to come and have lunch with his workers. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed her roasted grain and she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed the young man saying, let her glean even among the sheaves. Do not reproach her. And also pull some out from the bundles for her and, and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned and it was about a ephod of barley. She took it up and she went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned and she had also brought out and gave to her the food that she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, where did you glean today? And where have you worked blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law of whom she had worked and said, this man's name and who I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, besides, he said to me, you shall keep close to my young men until they have finished all the harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It's good, it's good, my daughter, that you go out with these young women, lest another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat feast, and she lived with her mother-in-law. In here, multiple times, you see God's provision for Ruth in the midst of her suffering and her pain, in the midst of her loss. God is, in his providence, providing for her. You find it in verse 14. She gets invited to, to lunch and she eats until she is satisfied. She eats until she's satisfied. And I love this because it says that she even had some left over. Like this moment right here where he says, come and eat and have some bread and roasted grain and like dip it into the wine. This is a picture of like if you went to like an olive garden or something like that and you get the breadsticks that come beforehand and you dip it in the, the oil and vinegar, right? You get to eat that. That's, that's what, what's happening in this moment. Now, God's provision doesn't just satisfy her. It says, and there's some left over. And this is the humorous thing about it. Because if you you read closely and you you see in verse 18 that the leftover food, apparently Ruth stuffs it in her her jacket and leaves. Because later when she sees her mother-in-law, she shares some of that food with her. It's like she went to the Olive Garden, asked for more breadsticks, and then shoved them in her pocketbook and brought them home to eat. Did you catch that? They've been so hungry, she's like, okay, God's provided enough to satisfy me. Now i got to think about my mother-in-law, so let's just, yeah, we'll take some extra of that and put it in there. God provides and satisfies her, but then he also gives a ephod of barley in verse 17, which you're like, what is that? Well, once again, this is showing the provision of God, how he's giving her what she needs in this moment. See, ephod of barley, this is a, is a hefty load. This is a lot. This is somewhere between 30 and 50 pounds of barley. That's a lot, which shows that Ruth is a stud because it says she gets this 30 to 50 pounds of barley and she carries it into the city. All right, so she gets this extra food and grain. She throws it on her back and she goes back into the city. This is well over a month's worth of food for her and her mother-in-law. This is a big deal. You see, God in this moment, it's not just like, well, here's just like a little, little shaving. Here's a crumb off the table. God in his providence is saying, no, here's a ton of provision. I'm going to satisfy you more than you even realized. And even above that, I mean, this is an amazing moment as we read this that should stir our heart. Like, wait a second, God didn't make this bread come down from heaven like he did. This isn't a miraculous work. And yet God in his provision is like, I'm going to stir a man's heart where you will find favor. And in that favor, I'm going to provide all that you need and even more so. I'm going to guide you. I'm going to provide for you. This is what we find in this moment. This is a beautiful picture of what God in his providence is doing. And we would look at Ruth chapter 2 and we would see all these different things and like, it just seems like a scattered bunch of moments. just seems like a lady wakes up and goes to work. But God was doing something amazing in this moment. What looks like random acts of just daily work. It's God's providence and provision leading them. There's a TV show that I really enjoyed. It's called How It's Made. Some of you guys may have watched this in the past, but it just shows you how to make everyday items, how crayons are made or pencils are made or um, how how clothes are put together. All these different things you can kind of watch this show and it just tells you how things are made. I remember there was this one episode where they started and they started with this little rubber ball And then they had uh, four different types of yarn, like a lighter color yarn and a darker colored yarn, some thicker and some thinner and things like that. And then there's uh, two needles with thread and some pieces of leather that were laid out. And I remember watching that, and had I not known the show, they're going to do something with it. I'm looking at these things, I'm like, this is just random. A rubber ball and some yarn and uh, uh, needles and, and leather, like what in the world are they doing with that? And as you watch the show, they take each one of those components and start to build something. As they build it and they get towards the end of the episode, you see that it's a, a baseball that would be used in a professional baseball game. It was amazing. And at the start of the episode, you would look and you'd be like, what are you going to do with all these random things? What are you going to do with a rubber ball and yarn and this leather and this... this, this, this uh, uh, needles what are you going to do with all of those different things and yet by the end of it you see that there was an incredible plan and it wasn't just a bunch of random materials there was a purpose behind it and I believe that's something that we have to grasp from the book of Ruth today what seems like random luck in our lives is God's providence what looks like random patches of good or bad times in our life, God will take and sew them together for a beautiful tapestry showing us the providence of God. Now, the question is this How will we respond to God's providence? How will we respond to God's providence in our lives? You see, Ruth in this moment had a choice. She had a choice. We read this and like, oh yeah, God's providence. It's a part of the Bible. Of course he was doing all these things. In that time, Ruth didn't know that. It looked like random acts in her life. And she had the choice in that moment to complain. She could have complained about a lot of things. And honestly, reading this, who could blame her, right? She could have sat down and complained, my father-in-law died. My husband died. I had to leave my home. I had to leave my land. People are despising me. People are mocking me. It seems like a whole bunch of things that she could be bitter about and complain about. I mean, she has a long list of things that could keep her in the bed at morning from, from, getting, from rolling out of bed and doing anything. She'd be like, no, 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 I'm, not, I'm just not going to do it. I'm just going to sit here and mope and complain. That's a choice. And yet Ruth chooses to be grateful. She chooses not to complain, but to be grateful. She's not entitled in this moment, but she's grateful She's grateful for God's provision in her life. Are you grateful or are you entitled when it comes to God's providence? You see, we see the gratitude in Ruth's life when she makes the statement, Who am I that I find favor in your sight? Who am I to find favor in your sight? See, an entitled attitude says, don't you know who I am? A grateful attitude, a thankful attitude, looks and says, Who am I that I should find favor in your sight? She realized in this moment that there's nothing that she can bring to the table that's going to to bless Boaz. She realizes there's nothing that she can bring to give in this moment. And so she looks at this moment, she's like, What have I done? How can I find favor in your sight? How's that even possible? Many of us look at God's providence and blessing in our life and instead of saying, God, who am I? Instead we say, don't you know who I am? God, I deserve more than you're giving me. Now, I doubt that many of us feel like we're an entitled person. And so I want to give us just a few questions to consider, questions I'm even asking myself this week to examine my own heart and life to say, am I a grateful person or an entitled person to the providence of God? So let me ask you some of these questions that I've asked myself this week. First is this. When you pray, do you spend more time thanking God for what he has given you or asking God for things he has yet to give you? I dare you, I challenge you to look back at the last 100 text messages that you sent to a spouse, roommate, or friend and see if they are mostly thank yous or tasks for them to do. Are you grateful? Are you entitled? Here's another one. When you walk into your closet or you go into your house or you get into your car, what do you feel? What do you feel in that moment? Do you feel grateful or do you feel disappointed? When is the last time you wrote a thank you note to somebody? If we look at our bank account... (laughs) look at your bank account. Would it say that you're entitled or you're grateful? In other words, do you spend all of your money on you and yourself, or do you use it to bless other people? One last one. When is the last time you shared your faith? Do you feel grateful that Jesus saved you and he's your redeemer? That he's taking you to heaven? Or entitled that God owes you heaven because you're a good person. You see, we can choose to look at God's providence and complain and feel entitled. Or we can look at God's providence and be grateful people. The greatest of all providence that God gives us is found in our Redeemer's nail-scarred hands. Where Jesus died in our place. And it is really hard to stand at the cross and say, don't you know who I am? Don't you know who I am? And I feel like for most, most of our lives, we spend so far away from the cross remembering our sin and our shame and how we were worthy of hell and destruction And yet God looks at us and gives us favor. We should be looking to Jesus and saying, how in the world am I finding favor in your sight? I don't deserve your grace. I don't deserve your providence. I don't deserve your salvation. I don't deserve your redemption. And yet many of us say, through my good works, I have earned that. You should give me that. May God forgive us. May we be grateful people looking at the nail-scarred hands of Christ, remembering his favor that he gave to us. And may it change the way that we live the way that we share the gospel and the way that we believe in the providence of God in our very lives. Bow your heads with me. Father God, I ask, one, that we would see your providence in our lives. A lot of times we think they're just everyday things, but in your almighty power, you're working and you're guiding and you're doing things that we can't see or understand. And so, Lord, I ask that you would help us to trust in you when we can't see, that we believe that you are gracious and good and kind to us, even when we don't understand all those things. And, Lord, I ask that you would create in us a grateful heart, not an entitled heart that looks at your provision in our life and just says, yeah, I deserve all of that, but one who would speak like the words of Ruth and say, who am I to find favor in your sight? God, who are we to find favor in your sight? The glorious, almighty Lord. The one who humbled himself, the one who was entitled to all things and yet didn't come to earth speaking entitlement words, but came saying, you came not to be served, but to serve. to pour your life out, a ransom for many. And so, Lord, rescue and redeem our hearts from entitlement from complaints, instead turn our focus and our eyes to you, the Redeemer in whom we have found favor in your sight. We love you and we thank you, Lord Jesus. It's in your name we ask. Amen.